Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Berean Bible Church podcast. This special Easter message came from our Green Campus and from our teaching pastor, Justin Bluer. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you know, Easter is a fun holiday. I remember distinctly as a kid an Easter that I spent down in Vero Beach, Florida. It sounds good about now, right, with snow yesterday at my grandparents' home, and there's a few things that jump out at me about that Easter. I, I remember the painful bite of fire ants. I remember the stickiness of the poisonous tree frogs. I remember how elusive the lizards were that we were catching to bring back home with us. And I remember lurking around the alligator pond. I lived to tell about it. But I remember especially the Easter basket hunt. Anyone else do the Easter basket hunt? So the Easter basket hunt was indoors, and probably because it was too hot outdoors, Florida. And an adult thought it'd be a good idea to hide one of the Easter baskets out of reach of us kids on the ceiling fan. And what I distinctly remember, if, if my memory serves me correctly, is that before we found that basket, a smirking grandpa decided it was time to turn on the ceiling fan. <laughs> and suddenly it was raining sticky jelly beans and melted chocolate all over grandma's plush white carpet. Yeah, I don't remember much after that. <laughs> Other than Easter got really tense really quick. And I'm sure all of us have Easter memories that we could share. We'd be laughing, maybe crying as we recounted our Easter stories. But the irony of Easter is that Easter is more than bunnies and eggs and jelly beans. In fact, I've owned bunnies, and I realize they actually don't even lay eggs. And they don't leave behind jelly beans. That's disappointing to me. But Easter is an emotional and fairly tense holiday, and, and the reason for that goes back to the original Easter. So for a moment, let me take you back 2,000 years to the original Easter weekend to kind of process through why Easter is the way that it is. And even this morning, it, it feels different than a normal day. It feels somehow emotional. It feels, it feels different, and that's because of the origins of Easter. So the first Easter weekend, there was a a pretty popular yet polarizing young teacher who had just been publicly executed. His crimes weren't defined. His accuser stories were not aligned. And a verdict was never even reached. The mob, though, insisted that he die. And the political leadership, having no backbone, decided they liked power more than justice and went with the wishes of the mob. And this innocent young man, 33 years old is all, in front of his own mom, was tortured, humiliated, and publicly executed. The day of his death was Friday, known around the world now as Good Friday. But that day was anything but good to his family, his friends, and his followers. It was dark, it was disastrous, it was depressing. See, a lot of people had pinned their hopes on this young man. His, his teaching wasn't like anything they had ever heard before. His, his, his things that he did, like healings and miracles, was, was unlike anything anyone had ever heard about or seen before. 
And so there were a bunch of people that pinned their hopes on him. They were certain that he was God's son. They were certain that he was the savior of the world. They were certain that he was going to bring change to the world. That, that he was going to like set up a kingdom where justice would, would, would win and where evil would be defeated. And that's what they were all pinning their hopes on. And then Friday came and it got messy. And it seemed like by Friday evening that the good guy had lost. Do you ever get that feeling? Like the good guys lose and the bad guys win. And that was that Friday, 2,000 years ago. Now, I want to kind of jump into the story on Friday evening and trace it through the next couple days. So if you would turn with me to Matthew's Gospel chapter 27. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, you can use the one in the chair in front of you um, and turn to page 800, and you'll be right where I'm at. And here at Berean, we love to open the Word of God every time we gather to find the truth, the truth that we need to hear. Um, If you want to tap in a chair or an electronic Bible, you can tap to Matthew 28 and then, or 27, and then you can tap NLT, and that'll align with the translation that I'm going to read out of. Um, as you're turning there, you may have noticed that it's brighter than normal in here. Th- that's not just the power of God. We had a power surge last Sunday that fried our ability to dim the lights. And so if some of you feel blinded, just chalk it up to the power of God, okay? We'll get it fixed. Uh, Matthew 27. Let's, let's start in verse 57. Here we go. Verse 57. This is, this is Friday evening, 2,000 years ago. As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. He had just been executed. You know, the body would have been thrown probably in a mass grave. He takes the body, Pilate issues an order to release it to him. So Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which which had been carved out of the rock. And then he rolled a great what? Say it with me. He rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. I want to talk about that a little bit with you this morning. But first, who is this guy? Um, This is, when you see Joseph, and you hear a story of Jesus, and and you see Joseph, you might think and assume that it's Jesus' stepdad, Mary's husband. This is not that Joseph. This Joseph is a different Joseph. This is Joseph of Arimathea, it's clarified here. And he was actually a wealthy and powerful judge on the Supreme Court of his day. Uh, Luke explains it further. He says there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council, but he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. He was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. So he dissented from the majority opinion that weekend that Jesus should be executed. And and now he's kind of stepping up post-execution, post-crucifixion, and he's taking this broken, bloodied body of Jesus to be buried. And I want to consider for a minute what was going through his mind. I, I just wonder, was he thinking, man, if only I had 
been more of a public follower. If only I had spent more time with him. If only I had maybe given more to his cause, this might not have happened. If, if only if I, I had defended him better this weekend in front of my colleagues, maybe they wouldn't have made this tragic decision. Am I somehow responsible for this? Right? And, and I just wonder, as he's carrying this body of this one that he had believed in and followed, all the emotions, all the thoughts that are going through his mind. And if you've heard this story before, you may be surprised like I was to realize that this stone was not placed by enemies of Jesus. This stone was placed by a friend of Jesus. It was not the Roman government. It was not the Jewish leadership that placed that stone. It was a well-meaning follower of Jesus Christ. And I think there's some irony behind the placing of this massive stone in front of Jesus' tomb. First of all, do you think it's a little bit overkill? Why do you need a large stone in front of his tomb? And, and I just wonder if maybe this was perhaps an overreaction on Joseph's part. Right? He's certainly emotional. He cares deeply for Jesus. And I wonder if in this moment he's overreacting just a tad. I think, I think God has that effect on a lot of people. People get emotional when it comes to God, and we tend to overreact when it comes to God. Maybe we feel afraid of God. You saw that in Jonathan's story this morning. Grew up feeling fear of God. Other people feel mistrust or even a low-grade anger when it comes to God. Some people just feel frustrated with God. Why didn't he protect me when I was a kid and in that situation? Right? Why, why didn't he answer that prayer that I prayed? Why did that person I loved get that disease and God didn't heal them? And, and I don't know 100% for sure what was going through Joseph's mind that day, but I do know that in my life, I've overreacted towards God. I've done things that didn't seem to line up with the way that I should have done. I, I've had moments where I've given up on God. You ever, you ever given up on God? You know, as Joseph is preparing Jesus' body for burial, he's caring for the wrecked and broken and bloody body of a man that he deeply admired. And I can't even imagine that Friday evening, the horror of, of embalming and wrapping the body of Jesus, as, as he's noticing the, the deep gashes all over his body from the torture he had just experienced, as he's, as he's seen the holes in his head from the crown of thorns that was jammed onto his skull, as he, as he saw the nail holes in his hands as he's wrapping them, and the, and the nails, the holes that were in his feet, as he saw the gash that's in Jesus' side from the spear. Death isn't something you walk away from. So he wasn't wrapping Jesus. I want you to notice something in this story. He's not wrapping Jesus in three-day disposable cloths. This is a permanent burial ritual that he's doing. Have you ever given up on God just a little bit too early? Have you ever stopped praying for something just a little bit too soon? 
I think another way that we overreact towards God, and I don't know if this was Joseph too, but I try to impress God. I think there's something I can do to make myself more loved or accepted by God, to somehow get his favor. I mean, it worked for growing up, perhaps, for teachers or parents. There, there were things that we did to somehow get their attention. You can get people's attention two different ways. I mean the good ways. We, we tried to get the attention of authority figure or something by, by obeying or honoring or respecting, and I think oftentimes we do that with God without even realizing it. We're trying to impress him. And, and I just wonder with Joseph in this moment, he's taking this very expensive tomb that's cut out of stone. He's not just doing a burial plot in the ground. He's doing this very expensive tomb. And he's going to all these lengths to, to do this very expensive burial process. And then he takes this giant stone. And I just wonder, was there a little bar, part of him that was trying to impress God? And the irony of this is that just hours before, this guy he's burying had been hanging on a cross, looking down at his killers and asking God to forgive them. Looking at his killers and asking that God not hold this against them. I mean, how can God love someone more than that? And these are his killers, not his followers, that he's showing his love and his favor towards. And I, and I just wonder in those moments when I'm trying to impress God, trying to look the part, trying to act the part, trying to speak the part of someone who's all good and I feel good about myself, I wonder who I'm trying to fool. Because God can't possibly love and accept you and me more than he already does. I, I, I wonder also with Joseph, if he's overreacting towards God, by trying to protect him. Trying to protect his body. Rolling this large stone across the entrance. I mean, the equivalent of this today would be like taking a casket and putting a latch on and putting a giant padlock on. Why? I'm not sure. But, but I do know that in this weekend, the followers of Jesus are feeling pretty exposed and vulnerable. They're feeling pretty defense, defensive. I mean, literally, it was only five days before this that Jesus had entered the city of Jerusalem, and there was a parade to welcome him, and he was hailed as a hero. We call that Palm Sunday. People laid their palm branches, they laid their blankets down in front of Jesus as he enters, and that was only five days ago before the mob kind of turned against him and wanted him killed. And so this Friday is just this crushing defeat. It's not what they expected. They expected Jesus to be coronated this weekend. Instead, he's killed. They expected him to become the leader of the world, and instead he becomes an executed criminal. And, and they don't get it. And so he's permanently buried. The stone is put across. Their tails are kind of between their legs right here. Watch what happens next. Verse 61. It says, Both Mary... Magdalene and the other Mary, this was another mother of another one of Jesus' disciples, were sitting across from the tomb and watching. Now, these poor friends of Jesus, they're struggling to even leave the graveside service. Right? Their pain's too deep, their mourning's too intense. They just profoundly missed 
their leader. He had changed their lives the last few years. And I imagine they're battling with a lot of emotions, a lot of things. Was this all a dream? Was this all a dream? Was this, was this just part of our imagination? Were we misled to believe what he had told us? The, the first stages of grief, it's shock first and then typically denial. I don't know if that's what they're experiencing, but I wonder as they sit there watching this tomb in stunned silence as Joseph wraps, puts the body in, and gets this stone rolled across. They can't leave the graveside service. 62, verse 62, it says this, The next day, that would have been Saturday, on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember what that deceiver, <laughs> that liar, once said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. So don't miss what's happening with the stone. Jesus' own follower, a member of the high court, placed it, but now you've got enemies guarding it. A believer was making sure that Jesus had a proper burial, but now Jesus' enemies are making sure that his burial is permanent. I wonder what the guards were thinking when they got given that duty that weekend. Hey, we want you to go out and guard the grave of the guy who was executed yesterday. I can imagine those guards standing there thinking, what a waste of taxpayer money. Government troops guarding a dead man. Now I've heard it all. And I, and I imagine they're thinking, what are we doing here? I, I, I guess we're trying to keep his crazy followers from coming and stealing his body. Who would do that anyway? This is bizarre. I, I, you know, I guess the rumor has it that some of them might try to stage something deranged and steal his body and act like he came back from the dead. But what's interesting about these guards is they would have had no thought or fear concern that this dead guy would have walked out of his grave. They had no category for that. They had, they had no fear for that. Their concern was simply that the body might be stolen. They, they, they just didn't want any rumors to go out that this dead guy is somehow immortal because that would just be weird. And that doesn't happen. And I want you to think about, this is Saturday, I want you to think about what the followers of Jesus were going through that day. The thoughts, the fears. Again, they hadn't processed or understood the stuff Jesus had told them about what was to come. All they knew is that their leader that they thought was going to set the world straight was just killed, was dead, was in a tomb with a big stone in front and some Roman soldiers guarding it. That's all they knew, for sure. And, and I wonder if they were battling some of the same things I battle today. This thought that, man... People are going to think I'm crazy if I take God at his word. I know he said that three days later he would walk out of his grave, but I'm not going to repeat that out loud because that's just not scientifically possible. And, and you know, there's promises that God's made to us, like his promise to change people or to forgive sins 
or to come back to earth one day to judge the world with fire and then judge people one by one. Yeah, don't say that stuff out loud because that's just crazy and people will think you're the crazy one if you say that stuff and especially if you act like you believe that stuff. They'll think you're a fool. And so I imagine on Saturday, these promises of Jesus that, hey, I'm going to be dead for just three days, I'm sure they're ringing in the ears of the people. They're, they're, they're cycling through the minds, and I'm sure they're thinking, okay, I know he said that, but I better not repeat this out loud, and I can't imagine this is actually going to happen. After all, I'm not sure that God does miracles anymore. I think that's maybe the stuff of fairy tales. There's no way that a miracle is going to happen this weekend. In fact, God just suffered his greatest defeat. His own son just died. He was executed. You know, it's been a good run. It's been a really cool run. We've seen him do some awesome things, some awesome miracles. It's been amazing to see, but the magic wore off and ran out yesterday. And I'm just not sure anything good's going to come from this. We had his funeral yesterday. It's it's over. He's dead. And, and then there's more than likely this thinking of, man, we're, we're underdogs here. The Jewish leadership is opposed to us. Our nation is opposed to us. The mob is opposed to us. The Roman leadership is opposed to us. We're the, we're the few, but we're not the proud. We're not the Marines. We're just the few. And I just wonder... What were they doing on Saturday? Were they hiding? The indication is that they might have been for fear of their lives, like we're next, they're coming after us next. They took him out, and now they're going to come take us out. Do you ever, when you're praying to God, feel like you're talking to a wall? Like, can you just be honest? Who else has ever had that feeling? You feel like you're talking to a wall. Right? You're in church. You can't lie. Come on, right? Imagine them that weekend. They were talking to a grave. Imagine the amount of faith it would have taken to have to keep praying through that weekend. Like when I'm talking to a wall, I, I can try to imagine I'm not. But they're literally talking to a grave with a cadaver in it. <laughs> That's Saturday. But my friend, Sunday's coming. Check out the next verse, verse 1, chapter 28. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. These ladies are awesome. Like, they just can't stay away from the graveside. So they come back. They're, they're doing a visit to the tomb. I, I don't, I'm not sure why. I don't know why they're going back. I don't know... You know, if they're coming to pay their last respects again, I don't know if they're coming to pray. I, I'm not sure why. Maybe, maybe they were going to do some more burial rituals. There's some hints at that. But verse 2 says, Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and what do you do next? Sat on it. I love that. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. If you were with us the last few weeks, we just studied all about angels 
This is a description right here of one. It's fascinating. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. I would have paid good money to have one of them wear a GoPro and see that. Here's these Roman soldiers going into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, Don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. Imagine hearing that. Imagine they're thinking, no, 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 actually we were at the graveside. We saw him get put in there. We know he's here. And they see this fearsome being who just tells them, listen, he isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying. The psalmist says this, weeping may remain for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Death couldn't hold Jesus. The grave couldn't keep Jesus. And the stone couldn't stop Jesus. Maybe God was thinking, for crying out loud, I'm going to have to move the stone so they know my son's gone. Because see, God had already worked out his plan in the silence of that morning with no cameras and no crowds as God often does, accomplishing his plan silently in the background and you don't even know it's happening. The cameras and the crowds were not focusing their attention on the tomb early that morning. It was just a couple of Roman soldiers making sure that nothing would happen there. But God's plan cannot be stopped by any man or army or nation. Jesus' resurrection, it was quick, it was subtle, and it was silent. God conquered death. And then he set an angel down to push the stone away and sit on it as if he was saying, I own this stone. I own this grave. And it can't hold me anymore. I want you to think about a few of God's promises to you. Do you know that God has promised that he will never give up on you? Do you believe that? Do you ever struggle with this? Do you ever feel like that's a promise like, okay, that sounds nice and that's a cliche, but I sure feel like he's given up on me. How about, how about this one? God's joy will be your strength. Anyone ever not feel strong? Last week or two, I felt really weak and beat down. And I look at this promise, God's joy is my strength. I don't know if I always feel that. I don't know if I always believe that. There's another promise, right? God will never lie to you. Do you believe this? Unlike our political leaders, unlike maybe our family members or even those we work with, God will never tell us something that's not true. He will never break his word. Everything God says is true. If God says it, you can take it to the bank and cash it. Here's another promise that God's made. He will complete you. Do you know that God says, he who began a good work in you will complete it. God doesn't start stories 
he doesn't intend to finish. God has no half-written stories. But the challenge is many of us live on Saturday. Right? God's writing a story Easter weekend, and the story on Friday and Saturday is dark and depressing and discouraging. But God always finishes the stories that he starts. And I want you to know this morning that God is writing a story with your life, and you might be living on Saturday. Can I just tell you Sunday's coming? God finishes his stories. I want you to think about what Jesus needed on Friday after he died. Did Jesus need a beautiful, fancy tomb with a big rock in front of it? He just needed a place for his body to lay down for three days. That's literally all he needed. Because he was coming out as he promised. God used that stone, that large stone. I've been to Israel. I've been to the traditional site of the tomb. There's a tomb there with this large stone. I've stood in front of it. I've looked at it. And that stone that was supposed to represent finality and defeat and and protection of God, that stone now represents power. That stone now represents hope. And that stone is a reminder that no matter how permanent our stones may seem, we have a God who moves stones. Let me ask you this morning, is there a stone between you and God? Because more than likely, I want you to know that Satan is guarding that stone, just like the Roman soldiers were 2,000 years ago. Satan is guarding that stone to make sure that you and God remain distant. I want you to know that God owns that stone. And he's broken down the barrier between you and him. You can walk past your bitterness, your fear, your unbelief. An angel rolled that stone away that day just to reveal that Jesus wasn't in there. He had gone earlier that morning. He had walked out of there. If the angel hadn't rolled that stone away, how long would it have taken before anyone noticed? he rolled the stone away to reveal that God had already been victorious, that God had already conquered sin and death, that God had already won. Look at verse 8 as we wrap this passage up. Verse 8. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went... Who met them? Jesus met them and greeted them. The ancient records indicate that 500 eyewitnesses met Jesus after he died. 500 people attest they saw him alive. These were two of those 500. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. What an Easter morning. I mean, that's what we do this morning. God moves stones so that we are set free to worship and honor and respect him. 
What's the stone in your life? What's blocking you this morning? Do you realize that Jesus has already paid for your bad habit, your bad attitude, your addiction? Do you realize that Jesus has already paid for your sin in full? And and maybe you know it, but you just can't feel it. And maybe you're trying to say, okay, I realize that God's forgiven me, but I'm just trying to forgive myself. Can I tell you something? You can't ever forgive yourself. And you don't have to, because that's not your job. Forgiveness is God's job, so let him do it. When you let God roll back the stone of your life, you'll realize that he's already paid for your sin, he's already forgiven your sin, and he's already set you free. Here's what it says in Psalms. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? I know I couldn't, but you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. My friend, you know that we can live free from guilt and shame and the skeletons in our closet because Jesus has set us free. There is no sin that God can't forgive. There is no relationship that God can't fix. There is no person God can't change. And my friend, there is no heart that God can't humble. 2,000 years ago, God moved a stone. And my friends, God still moves stones. Would you bow with me this morning? I want you to know a few things today. As As we think about Easter, as we talk about Easter, The cross was God's permanent solution to our sin problem. That's Friday. That's Good Friday. That's why we call it good. But the empty tomb is God's permanent solution to our death problem. You see, sin and rebellion against God leads to death, separation eternally from God. But if you put your faith in Jesus, the one who walked out of his grave that morning, he offers you forgiveness and eternal life. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. He died for you because he loves you. He rose from the dead because he wants to spend eternity with you. So let me ask you this morning, do you have the faith to believe and be forgiven? God says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he's your your leader, he's your new master, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you believe these eyewitnesses, the 500 who saw him alive after his very public execution, if you believe that, God says this, you will be saved. 
My friends, so many people, their response to if I, if I die someday and I get to the gate of heaven and God says, why should I let you in? They, they would say, because I'm a good person. They'd say, I I'm, I'm hope I'm good enough. I hope God will let you in. You don't have to question. You don't have to wonder. When God makes a promise, he always keeps it. And you need to know that Jesus has offered to forgive you if you believe. He promises to forgive you and give you eternal life. And this morning, if that's you, you might say, what do I have to do? You don't. Jesus already did it. He already did the work. You simply need to believe. And the belief in your heart and the confession of your mouth saves you. And so this morning, if you do believe, I want to tell you, welcome to the family of God. There are no outcasts here. And we as a church would love to help you take your next steps of faith. Maybe that's becoming mentored. We have mentors who would love to help you on this journey of faith. Maybe it's being baptized like Jonathan was this morning and letting your church family know, I, I've been forgiven. But if you fill out a connection card in the chair in front of you today or online, we'll help you take those next steps of faith. Those of you who are here and you believe, you're, you're his kid, I just want to ask you, what stone does God need to move in your life? Is it a, is it a broken relationship? Is it a hard heart? Is, is it a financial struggle? Is it a job situation or a challenge at school? Do you believe that the God who moved the stone 2,000 years ago still moves stones today? You can trust God. He will never lie to you. He will never give up on you. And he will finish the work that he has already started in your life. That first Easter was filled with tension and drama and emotion. But Sunday, it was filled with victory. And your Easter can be too. Because the God who moves stones 2,000 years ago is still moving stones today. Father, thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that you sent your angel down to move that away, to prove that you were already gone. There was no body in that grave. And thank you that you had him sit on that stone as if to say, I own this. I am the God who's bigger than any obstacle that you face. Father, today, as we worship you, we worship a God who is alive, who is still in the business of changing lives. Thank you for being the miracle-working God. I love you, and I'm learning to trust you more every single day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.